Welcome to the NeuroTalk podcast with Ellie and Pat, also known as Hat Talks and Autistically Me on social media. Here we'll be discussing our experiences as autistic ADHD women and speech and language therapists. So go grab your favourite fidget, maybe even a snack, and settle down for some good old info dumping. And welcome to another episode of Neuro Talk with me, Ellie, and Hat. Um, this episode, we're going to be focusing on burnout. Um, so I thought it'd be quite nice just to start with talking about what burnout is. So we've got a little quote here by Raymaker et al. Um, 2020, who describes burnout as a state of physical and mental fatigue, heightened stress and diminished capacity to manage life skills, sensory input and or social interactions, which comes from years of being severely overtaxed by the strain of trying to live up to demands that are out of sync with our needs. Hello, burnout, my old friend. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> I wasn't. That was really impulsive. I'm so sorry. Carry on. I loved it. <laughs> so we're going to be having a chat about burnout, what burnout is, what it can look like, and also some strategies that we've found useful. Again, this kind of podcast is very much based on our experiences of our own neurodivergencies and how how it's um how it's impacted our lives and and the strategies that we've found useful for us as individuals um so we thought it'd also be good to touch upon spoon theory which is often talked about in the community (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to talking about burnout um, and thinking about some of the language and terminology that's used quite often um kind of I guess a theory um and language that is used is spoon theory which I know you've been looking at recently in some sessions with clients have so would you mind telling us a little bit more about spoon theory like what it is and how how you use it indeed um so yes I've been using this quite a lot recently um I actually carried around a bag of spoons with me for a whole week, um, which I will explain in a little bit more detail as we go on. Um, But spoon theory is is basically centred around um, the chronic illness and disability community. Um, And it's it's a theory based on energy, um, sort of like energy accounting, energy conservation. So it's based on the principle that disabled, chronically ill people um, tend to have less energy than um, non-disabled people. So we have to be a lot more sparing with how much of our energy we use in various parts across our day. So certain things will take more of our energy than it does for a non-disabled person. So for example, if um, we are to clean our teeth, as people who have sensory sensitivities um, and executive function difficulties, that might actually take us a couple of spoons, um, which, you know, spoons are the equivalent of energy. 
for a neurotypical person who doesn't have those sensory sensitivities, that's likely not to take any spoons from them. Um, because it, you know, it's just, it's just a task that's quite easy and, you know, doesn't take energy. So when we're looking at, um, sort of energy conservation, um, and energy accounting, we have to have an awareness of what takes our energy and what, what sort of gives us more energy. So in some sessions recently, I've been working with young people to understand their own energy levels. So we kind of start out by um, creating a battery together of our energy. So full full top of the battery is where we've got so much energy. And as ADHD, as I like to say, there's, there's like a top, a, a top layer to that energy um, where that energy might actually be a bit much for us. Um, so things like if I've had like huge excitement and, you know, done loads and loads of stimulating things, my energy levels are probably going to be a little bit too much for me. And I have to regulate that energy and that excitement to bring myself back down a little bit. Um, and then we've got kind of like, you know, your sort of your zone of, um, proximal, development which is you know where you're able to focus you've got the right amount of energy to focus that kind of thing and then as we move further down our battery we've got our lower levels so we've got a sort of like a warning light almost of I'm starting to run out of energy I need to get myself more energy and then we've got right at the bottom where we have no energy left um so I've been working with the young people to kind of categorize what gives them energy what takes away their energy what they need, might need more energy for and what they might need to reduce their energy for. So one of the things that I've kind of uh, spoke to them about is the fact that when I have really high intense energy, if I want to sleep at night, I need to be able to bring that energy all the way down to our lower levels. So it's not telling people that you need to be up here right at the top of your battery all the time but that you need to have fluctuating energy levels dependent on where you are and what you're doing. I'm hoping that makes a little bit of sense or maybe why I've been carrying spoons around with me for the past week. Yeah, I think that's a really good um, description of it. Um, and I think that does make sense. I was just making notes then um, for myself to use with my clients. <laughs> I like that idea that you need fluctuating energy levels because I think... Um, we're quite guilty as as humans of of always thinking that we need to be have all the energy to do all the things right now but like you said you might need a lower level of energy so that you are able to sleep which makes complete sense so I was just making note of that because I really liked it <laughs> um so I think that ties quite nicely into the idea of burnout when we're thinking about um what could potentially contribute to burnout and what can help in that those recovery stages of burnout um I know I have experienced varying levels of burnout throughout my life um talked about it in a previous episode I think um one of the biggest um times of burnout for me was during my first job um and I did end up having to take some time off sick due to burnout however at the time it was um identified as depression anxiety 
um, by the GP. But reflecting back on it, I think it, it most definitely was burnout now. Um, I am currently, I guess, in burnout recovery. Um, I tend to really struggle um, kind of September time, October time, um, just, I guess, with the varying demands from work. Um, because I do go into schools and see clients in those education environments a lot of them may have transitioned to a new class in September or even a new school in September so then I'm having to liaise with various different um, teaching and education staff to try and manage my diary and basically start from scratch filling my diary up um, which takes a lot of executive function functioning skills and a lot of spoons it takes up a lot of spoons so I end up using all my spoons during the day for that and then just going home and chilling because I don't have spoons to do anything else when I get home and I think it's it's thinking about it in that way of energy conservation I think you said and accounting and thinking about um kind of how, what can I do to help me reserve those spoons what what needs doing now maybe what needs doing later um as in tomorrow and what what needs doing next week and, and things like that um I think would be beneficial for me reflecting on it yeah I think as part of generally as part of having an ADHD brain um we tend to kind of go full throttle um at quite a lot of things and I think as a hyperactive ADHD, um, I have generally quite a lot of internal energy and I feel like I need to get rid of that energy um, to enable myself to sleep at night. Um, so it's quite a delicate balance, really. Um, and I think having ADHD, I have this drive to always be doing something to always be having my brain stimulated, to always be moving. Um, so actually, it's really difficult to manage those energy levels. Um, I try not to experience big emotions. Um, you know, I, I try to uh, sort of avoid certain um, like big states of excitement that are prolonged. So I know that if um, one exciting thing happens that week, I need to sort of try and prevent other exciting things from happening or try and sort of, you know, take myself out of things that potentially would cause me to have huge amounts of excitement. And that's not to sort of rid myself of, um, you know, that nice experience, but it's actually to manage my energy levels because I know that when I have these high intense emotions, there's going to be a crash um, and I need to be able to deal better with that crash um, by conserving energy around my emotions. So it's not just about our executive functions. It's not just about our kind of, you know, cognition and learning and communication and all these things. It's also about emotions as well. Um, and I think there's a lot of different complexities when it comes to neurodivergent uh, energy management. Um, and I kind of like to explain it as having like a like neurodivergent capacity. And we have such lower capacity than a lot of people do um, because 
we have so much more to contend with and so much more that sort of goes on in our brains that we need to be able to um yeah have have a better management system almost I was just smiling when you were speaking then because um I just had an oh yeah moment um when you were saying about sometimes having too much energy and then you might crash um I will quite often become really excited or excitable and it might take me a while to recognize and then I'll be like oh I think a crash is going to happen and sure enough it 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 does end up happening um but yeah I think it, it is good to highlight that there's various different reasons um and causes of burnout and it is over that prolonged period of time that these these things end up happening um and ultimately result in burnout so I know for for myself and some people that I I speak to it's quite often caused by those prolonged extended periods of anxiety um often if there's an increased expectation whether that is internally that internalized expectation on oneself or external from someone else um increased pressure um Quite often those changes in routine, the sensory overload, the the masking and suppressing behaviours are all kind of things that I've experienced before that after a prolonged period of time, it does ultimately lead to burnout. Um, And I guess it's it's difficult to to recognise when that's happening. Um all the time I know I find that that difficult to to observe in myself and and recognize when I'm starting to hit that burnout until it's too late and it's full-on crisis point it's only upon reflection that I'm like oh okay that makes sense now I was reaching burnout I don't know what are your experiences of that um I generally tend to find that if I am starting to enter burnout there's two things that happen for me so I firstly I get triggered a lot easier in terms of my emotions so I will fly off the handle over nothing <laughs> seemingly nothing let's put it that way um so it it could be um and I I always pinpoint it now that my sensory system gets a lot more sensitive so my partner uses mouthwash and I have quite a quite a physical reaction to to mouthwash um because of the the mint I can't I just oh it's making me shudder thinking about it now um but if I start to get really bothered by it I know that I'm I'm hitting burnout um and I know that's like a really little thing to but it's something that I've now over over period of time learned to be aware of that 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 is you know telling me something um and I will have like really big reactions to it and be like can you just get out of my face I can't stand it uh you know he has to sleep the opposite way and and all these things and like cover (laughs) cover his mouth with the duvet if he is facing towards me and stuff like that um And another thing that I've figured out is that my executive functions are very different. Now, I know that autistic people in burnout tend to, their executive function 
skills will diminish. Um, you know, we, we sort of tend to find we lose skills during those periods. And initially, I think I was a bit like, oh, is this ADHD or is this burnout? And it's quite hard to to figure out. But I've kind of found a bit of a baseline for my executive function skills in terms of ADHD. So now that I know when my short-term memory is really poor or um, or I'm a lot more forgetful than my baseline levels, that's when I'm starting to enter into burnout and I need to be a lot more careful. I think you've put it really nicely there, listing all of those. I definitely relate to as you were saying them, I was like, yeah, that is something actually that when I start to notice it, I might not notice it straight away, but I often notice it before crisis point. <laughs> Anxious, I guess, when I'm heading towards that burnout state, um, especially around work and forgetting to, you know, just those little bits of admin that you've got to do, like send that email or I think it's often those little things that may slip my mind and that I think that's when I start to really notice it when you were speaking as well I was thinking about um my movements become slower when I'm kind of hitting or during that burnout stage I quite often notice that I end up walking slower reacting more slowly to things physically um and even my facial expressions I think I end up with quite a neutral face <laughs> um and sometimes my um, boyfriend asks me like are you okay and it, it might be that I'm feeling I am feeling okay at that moment in time but my face isn't showing that my face is is in its resting state which may actually look a bit grumpy <laughs> but actually it's just that pure exhaustion I think that my face isn't doing what my brain is feeling um that's another one for me and that clumsiness I do my clumsiness increases I'm just tripping over my own feet all the time <laughs> um is another another common yeah. sign for it's me it's a sign it's definitely a sign um I think it, it sort of it, it, again it gets complicated as well if you've got co-occurring uh, chronic health issues so I know you said about sort of around uh, September, October, um, you tend to find that you more easily enter into burnout. Um, and I have always, we've noticed a pattern in my family, um, myself, my granddad as well, um, where we we tend to really struggle with our mental health around um, sort of the clocks going back. And I always attributed that and my therapist had attributed that to having seasonal affective disorder. Um, and I, I don't think it is at all. We've, we've kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And, and I said, actually, from doing my research, um, I figured out that for people with chronic health issues, the change of seasons is a really big trigger. Um, so I tend to find that when the weather starts getting colder, it starts getting darker and my body clock changes. I am a lot more tired. Um, my joints are really achy. Um, I get headaches a lot more. All the things that are sort of intertwined with my chronic health issues. And I think 
it's it's so it's really difficult when you do have these co-occurring difficulties because what comes first the burnout or the physical stuff um and so many times you know i've i've heard people say to me oh um the doctor has diagnosed me with depression previously especially when they're coming for assessments with me who are late identified and saying i've i've been diagnosed with depression i've been taking um medication it's not really helping um and then what i'll do is kind of explore that a little bit further and say right okay have we had a loss of skills have we had like this this overwhelming exhaustion um you know sort of loss of interest in special interests or not be able to kind of get involved in special interests and just little things to kind of determine whether um rather than depression it's a period of burnout and yes the two might come together but usually what's come first is the period of burnout that the person's not been aware of and then that's sort of slipped into depression um and i think as well it can go the other way um but yeah it's, i think it's really overlooked quite a lot of the time in terms of medical professionals seeing it as depression here's some medication and no it's actually burnout i've spoken before about um burnout in my previous job and um the fact that that was diagnosed as depression anxiety by the gp and i was prescribed medication um and reflecting back on that now it it definitely was a period of burnout but what I was recommended by the GP was all the things that you might recommend for somebody in that um state of depression so things like I specifically remember him saying try yoga (laughs) um and you know what yoga does actually really work for me um in helping to regulate my nervous system um But actually, yeah, he was telling me to spend time with friends and family, do a bit of yoga. Don't just, yes, rest is important, but also go out and do these things. And it was that conflict in information that's really difficult that my body's telling me one thing and being like, no, I'm exhausted. I don't have the energy for this. But actually a healthcare professional who you kind of, well, I I view as being the expert in that case I did um is telling me another thing so I'm kind of like well I should do what the expert tells me but actually you are the expert in yourself and in your own body um and I think it is just I I find myself reminding myself to listen to my body more um my body knows what I need um but Again, for a lot of autistic people with interoception difficulties, so not understanding that body awareness, it's very difficult to tune into it. Mm. Um, And so until we feel intense, um, you know, where where we are already into burnout and we start to sense those things in our body, it's quite difficult to kind of keep tabs on where we're at. and I think I've I've done a lot of check-ins um, that have helped me with interoception and alexithymia, so not really understanding my emotions, um, by kind of having every three hours a bit of a check-in, right, do a bit of a body scan, um, is my attention where it should be, have I had food, water, have I used the toilet, 
just kind of things to try and cue myself into those interceptive alarms um, and kind of build up interceptive awareness. Although it's not an easy process. That sounds really useful. Um, I think I've tried to do things like that in the past and I don't know if it's... um... I'm still learning about my ADHD neurotype, so I don't know if it's to do with that, but I guess it is just having the um, the attention and motivation to do that internal checklist <laughs> and I forget about it as well. Um, yeah, I quite often have to set myself alarms on my phone for reminders to remind me to do things like that um, and check in with myself. In terms of burnout, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on kind of when you felt like you first experienced burnout. Um, you know, was it potentially it might it might take a bit of reflection on whether you thought maybe you experienced it in childhood, whether you started experiencing it as you went to university in your working life. I'd just be really interested to see where you thought the starting point was. Um, I guess off the top of my head, the first instance that I recall is university, um, maybe college. (laughs) I think, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd say probably college is the first time, um, reflecting back and having that kind of hindsight, but it wasn't... I don't want to say it wasn't extreme enough, but I didn't I didn't have time off. But that's not to say that I shouldn't have. Does that make sense? I should have had time off. <laughs> I think I just wasn't equipped with the the knowledge, the awareness. I had no idea what burnout was. I just remember getting home and being absolutely exhausted, taking myself to my room and maybe doing my homework and then nothing for the rest of the evening. I never really went to friends' houses or did social activities after college um, or even do like extracurriculum activities like sports or clubs because I just needed to get home and, and chill and not be around people. And I think even like I'd get home at college and you'd do say a morning and I'd get home in the afternoon and I remember like watching some tv programs that I wanted to watch to unwind and then um I've got two brothers and a sister so that the house was quite busy with my parents as well so people would gradually start to return home and that's when I'd take myself off to my room because that was too much for me and I needed to just spend that time alone to to gain some spoons recharge my battery ready for college the next day so I think probably college if I reflected a bit more and had more time probably even earlier but I probably blocked a lot of it out to be honest I don't remember much of high school or primary school yeah can you remember Um, your first experiences yeah I mean through assessment clinics at the minute um and just more generally I'm tending to find that there's children um in primary school that are experiencing burnout at at this stage Um, and I think it's got a massive part to play on um, sort of school school absence 
um, for neurodivergent people. Um, I mean, I know growing up, I had quite a lot of time off school, especially as I was in high school and towards the end of high school. Um, I started kind of, I think it was in college, actually. Um, I felt sick most mornings. I obviously related a lot to anxiety, um, but I would get migraines and I would be off once a week. Um, you know, when I, when I was younger, I was I was going home with migraines. I think every every fortnight in primary school, um, and I'd I'd need quite a lot of uh, rest and things afterwards. Um, I think I managed my burnout quite well through sport um it gave me a release to kind of cope a lot um and I think I started to hit a a, he- a heavy burnout um when I was in high school when I stopped playing so much sport um and sort of took away that compensatory strategy um but generally I think it was very much again biggest period of burnout was was in uh, at university um and it was very much labelled as as depression. Um, however, I have quite a significant memory of being sixteen, and I stopped exercising altogether. I didn't feel like I had any energy, um, and I was a really really fit teenager. I was just, you know, we did the bleep test, and I was in like the end levels. <laughs> I was an absolute machine, um, and. I went out on on the bikes with my boyfriend at the time and I think we cycled for about five minutes and I just threw my bike down, laid on the floor and just cried my eyes out just saying, I, I can't do this. I cannot do it. I don't have the energy. No one around me understood what was going on. I didn't understand what was going on. I just wanted to, you know, get on with it and be able to do it and, and I couldn't. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's very much learning to tune into your body and realize that at those times, just don't push it. <laughs> and I did push it a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, so I think it's a lifelong, a lifelong thing. But obviously, as you get older, burnout gets more intense and you start collecting burnouts. So you might have you know, smaller burnouts when you're younger. And especially when you're a child, you've got less responsibility, less demands um, generally. So you end up being able to recover a lot quicker from the burnout periods. Um, Then as you get older, you start, you know, it's like a rolling ball. The ball gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the burnout periods start to get longer and longer and more intense. Um, And at some point you have to do something about it. Um, and I knew at university, obviously, when I took the year off, I had to do something about that. So I took the year off. Um, and again, when I was in my workplace, um, previous workplace quite recently, and I had to take two months off work completely uh, when I left there just to, you know, recover. I'm not fully recovered, but recover enough to be able to function. Yeah, I think I've experienced similar where I've had to take time off to recover um my latest um burnout which I am still recovering from um I want to say kind of beginning of October I really noticed it um it hit me I ended up having a conversation with my supervisor at work um 
and I did get quite emotional during that conversation. Um, very emotional. There was tears um, because it was that, oh, oh shit, it's happening again. I've hit that burnout. Um, and she was just absolutely amazing, really supportive, asking me what I need, but also sometimes you don't know what you need. So also offering me suggestions that were neuroaffirming. Um, so she she did ask if I needed some time off to, to recover, but I just, I felt terrified because being in that state of burnout, those kind of loss of skills, like we were saying, all those things that happen because of the burnout is, is scary. Um, but on top of that, the last time I felt such intense burnout, I ended up off work for months because of it. Um, so I was a little bit terrified of that happening again. So I didn't, um, I asked not to have time off this time. I said, I don't want to do that. I think it will negatively impact my mental health because of that fear um so we just discussed reasonable adjustments and put some reasonable adjustments in place which I already have in place but actually we put different ones and more reasonable adjustments in place to help me recover from this episode of burnout and I feel at this point that I am in that recovery state now I've managed to go to yoga again after work which I hadn't I had like three months off because I was just so burnt out. I couldn't, I was literally going to work and coming home, going to work, coming home. So I am in that recovery stage. And I think it, it does really help when you have those support strategies around you. It's just, I'm quite privileged to have that. I do feel like I'm in my own little bubble sometimes because I've managed to surround my pe my myself with the right people, both at home and at work. Yeah, that's so important, isn't it? Um, I think obviously having a supportive workplace is one of the biggest things that can help you manage that burnout. Um, but also I think it's around having the right friendships as well. So I know that before I was diagnosed, um, I would flake out on plans and I got a little bit of a reputation for being a flake and I hated that so much. Um, whereas now, now that people understand a lot more and I can advocate for myself and explain things, um, my friends are just like so chilled about it. And, you know, if I need to just not, um, go for, you know, go out for a meal that we plan to do because I'm just not in the right place, like they're okay with it. Um, but I think it can be difficult to people, for people to get their heads around, and especially when, and I think this is like replying to messages is one of the hugest demands that I have. And I will stop responding to messages for like months at a time. And it's about having people being aware of that it's not the fact that I don't want to talk to you or or anything like that. You know, if I'm responding to people on social media or I'm putting things on social media, it's different spoons than responding to a message. Um, so I think, you know, you do have to put boundaries in there and, and make sure that, you know, it's, it's okay for you and you, you know, you have your needs met as well as everybody else. I'm just thinking, do we chat about some ideas about recovering from burnout in a separate um episode because I think that would be re really useful to to touch on so we've kind of discussed yeah. what burnout is how someone might ex well how we've experienced it um 
so yeah i think stay tuned for another episode and we can really delve into some strategies that um may be useful for recovering from from burnout yeah it will be different for everyone i think yeah so many people have contacted me on social media because I, I i posted something the other day about saying i am going to be writing a blog post on burnout recovery and it got so many messages being like please share it with me now i want the information now um and i will say that although you know we will share these tips in another episode um it's not a quick fix like you know you know it's very much pause do things that you need to do rather than the things that you want to do. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely cover that in another episode um, because I feel like, you know, there's there's more research going on around burnout now, um, but it's still not a recognized health condition. And so, you know, with the medical system, it's not something that you can be potentially signed off from work and um, get appropriate treatment and recognition um so by us sharing some strategies i think it might be quite helpful for a lot of the neurodivergent population um so yeah stay tuned for our next episode on that one um yeah really looking forward to sharing more and we will see you next time bye